Hey there, everybody. Jason Moser here, joined by Brendan Matthews in the studio today. We are going to talk about a few things that have happened over the past week, some of the things that the investing world may be getting wrong, some of the stocks that we are going to be keeping our eye on for the week ahead, and we're going to take a little bit of a deeper dive into one of our favorite stocks that's been making the news lately. Uh, Brendan, let's start off first and foremost with what everybody out there is getting wrong. We like to take a contrarian point of view here at The Fool, but we don't do it for contrarian's sake, right? Typically, we just you know, when we're looking at things from the longer point of the longer timeline, there it, it uh, gives us a little bit of a different perspective. And you have uh, you've been taking a look at Comcast. What is the investing world getting wrong with Comcast? So I, it's not even the investing world. I think it's the consumer world doesn't understand the dynamics of the merger between Comcast and Time Warner. So I was recently reading a Consumer Reports poll that shows probably what you'd expect. Most people are not supportive of the merger. They think two of the biggest cable companies, which already you know, arguably provide you know questionable customer experience. Combining is going to make a bigger, more unfriendly company. Well, that's the big M word, right? Monopoly. I mean, that's that's what is on the tip of everyone's tongue, right? Right. But the thing is, Time Warner and Comcast are not really competitors. You don't have a choice between those two in your home. You have whatever is locally installed. So I have I have I have Comcast, and I pay them a lot of money every month. <laughs> I am not necessarily happy with with the experience, but I don't have the choice to switch. Better than the alternative, I guess. You know, and and, and the, the people think, oh, well, there's this merger, and the two companies are really going to put the screws to the customers. Let me tell you, they're already putting the screws to the customers, Jason. I I, I think everybody who has cable feels that way. Um, what this merger is really about is not putting the screws to customers. It's about putting the screws to the content companies. So a large portion of what you pay for video service is essentially passed along to you know, CBS. Disney is the big one. ESPN. ESPN. Yep. And, that, and essentially, they pass. They take a cut, and they pass a, a big chunk of that on to essentially sports leagues um, who pass it on to high-paid players. And it's not really about... Uh, it, it's about increasing their size so they have more negotiating power with the content companies. And then also there's some benefits of shared technology development. So I don't really think people should be as worried about this Comcast Time Warner merger as they are. Yeah, at least sounds, from a customer standpoint. It sounds like a lot of people are taking the uh taking the opportunity to cut the cord too. So I guess that's something we'll keep an eye on here. But okay, so here's another interesting, probably one of the biggest news items of the past week has been the Amazon Oh yeah, uh, phone. Mm-hmm. So I know you have a take on this. It's a little bit different than public perception. W- what do you think? Yeah, well, I mean, I I covered this really from the very get go when they were when they were uh, you know blogging the that event, and I, I mean, we all knew that they were coming out with a phone. I think there was we didn't know for a fact. We had a pretty good idea that I think there were a couple of big surprises here. The first surprise, really, number one was that this is actually a pretty impressive piece of technology. I mean, I think a lot of people. Thought Amazon was just going to come out with sort of a quasi decent device that that could maybe attract a certain cross section of consumer out there, but but really it, there's been a lot of time and effort put into this device, and with differentiators like the Firefly feature that more or less it just makes the world your own little hyperlink, and a dynamic perspective which is like the 3D perspective there, uh, it's it's actually a pretty impressive piece of technology, and and I. I think that took a lot of people by surprise, but that then makes a lot of sense as why they priced it the way they priced it at one hundred ninety nine dollars for the uh, lower memory, and then for you know the higher memory is going to be two ninety nine, and you know AT and T is going to be the exclusive carrier there. So I know the Fire tablet ran on a sort of a customized version of Android. Yeah. What is what is the operating software for the phone? Yeah, well, that's the same thing. It's the it's the the Silk 
operating system that that Amazon used for their Kindles. They basically take that Android operating system and rewrite it to, to cater it to their own specifications. And so that's how the the Kindle phone is working as well. And it's working on that platform where you can use it with your Fire TV, and it would be something where you could uh, do the same types of things with your Fire tablet too, if you have one. Uh, I, I think that. While everyone is mostly people, I think are skeptical that this phone will really take hold because it is a big hurdle to clear when you have your, you know, your Google phones and your and your iPhones out there. I think that you know this phone could totally flop and it's not going to matter because it doesn't really have anything to do with Amazon's core business in e-commerce. It's just another way to get to that core business of e-commerce. Yeah, well, yeah, I think I think that that's an interesting point. Is I almost don't think of this as a phone. It's almost a gateway to shopping on Amazon and buying Amazon content. I think that's exactly it. I think that's the way people are going to start looking at it. All right, moving on. Let's talk about a stock we want to take a little bit of a deeper dive into, a stock that's been in the news and uh, one that you know very well, talking about TripAdvisor. Tell me about what's been in the news with TripAdvisor here lately. So, there's sort of two things. First of all, Priceline recently bought OpenTable. Right. Big purchase. And the question is, what are the implications for TripAdvisor of, of this uh, big, essentially, acquisition? Now, what does TripAdvisor do, real quick, for the listeners out there? So, TripAdvisor, essentially, it's an advertising platform for online travel. Okay. They provide they have a rich database of travel reviews that allows you to mostly find hotels, but also restaurants and attractions. And what, what really differentiates them from other competitors like Yelp is they really have the best database. And they put a lot of time into making sure that the reviews are good. So you probably heard in the news the problems Yelp has had right. with um, arguably some reviews are fake, um, a lot of the information there, is, like. is biased. TripAdvisor actually has invested a lot of time in making sure that their reviews are actually accurate. I know that they have people sorting through them. They'll actually call places. They'll suspend reviews. And, and that, that's what sort of makes them interesting. And I think that Coming back to Priceline and OpenTable, I don't think that the deal has much of an implication for for TripAdvisor. I think it's it's two two sort of competitor customers getting together, but TripAdvisor I still think is a, a very strong business. Yeah, you know, I, I always I mean TripAdvisor. My concern always was sort of first and foremost that garbage in, garbage out. Sort of how valuable is how 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 accurate and valuable is the information that's being put in there, and, and so it's nice to hear that they have sort of ways to really. Uh, vet that that information. Going back to the Priceline OpenTable acquisition, I thought that was a really interesting deal. I mean, I've used OpenTable a good bit. I use Priceline a good bit too. It certainly simplifies traveling. And in with TripAdvisor, TripAdvisor strikes me as something that would be quite complementary to a Priceline experience too. So I guess what I'm getting at is, do you feel like at some point TripAdvisor makes a nice acquisition target? Do you think somebody out there like Priceline has their eyes on TripAdvisor today, or is, it, is TripAdvisor this going to be a standalone business? It's it's certainly possible, yeah. but I think if you started combining the thing that sort of sets TripAdvisor apart a little bit is they don't have any sort of biases or conflicts of interest. They're very independent. Right. So if you were to combine a review site and a booking site, and these hotels that were getting reviewed started to become, you know, essentially customers, then you could run into some problems there. So my vision is really for TripAdvisor to, to remain independent. But I, I do admit it, it could be a juicy target for someone like Priceline or even maybe Google. Yeah, and given the move to mobile, I think one of the fears I have with these companies acquiring and becoming more 
things to more people, there is a point where it can start to clutter up that mobile experience. Whereas, you know, if you have just one app to do one thing, it, it's it's certainly uh, yeah, a bit more streamlined, a bit more of a pleasant experience. So, but yeah, I, I think TripAdvisor certainly has a lot of merits to the business. It's one we like here, obviously, is uh, recommended in at least a couple of services here. Think of the full. Okay, let's take a look forward here. Let's talk about some of the stocks that we're going to keep our eyes on here for the coming weeks. And I'm just going to start out here with you. We have uh, Nike earnings that are actually coming out here very soon. You know, Nike what, earnings what exactly, are tomorrow. What's going on with Nike? What do you, is there anything in particular to your eye? Your well, eye? so yeah, a lot is going on with Nike. Obviously, the the World Cup is going on. Ah, uh, yes. The world's sort of biggest sporting event with the world's biggest sporting apparel maker. Yeah. Last quarter, Nike reported slightly lower margins because they were essentially spending on promotion. And it's expected that their margins will be slightly lower this quarter because of spending on promotion. And I don't actually view that as much as a bad thing. It, spending on advertising and the brand pays off for Nike over the long term. Yeah. So I'm curious to see how this quarter will come in. It's expected. I, I'm not expecting a, a blowout on earnings. And I, I don't mind Nike spending on on advertising and brand. Yeah, I think they have to. You know, when you have a company, I mean, they, obviously they're known for their equipment, but it could be argued that they're even more known for their brand. I mean, that that brand, that swoosh, is known uh, around the world, and it, it is synonymous with sports. And, and in order to maintain that, you have to invest in it. And that's that's you know advertising, spending on getting the word out. I think it's interesting to see sort of now we we have sort of social media with Twitter and Facebook and things like that. You know, new ways to get that you know advertising, get that word out there. But yeah, I mean, that's just constant investment in the brand. I, I liken it to something like uh, Coca Cola when the Super Bowl hits. I mean, they're not going to blow our minds with a new Super Bowl ad in, in you know tell us something we don't already know, but they have to continue to invest in that brand to really keep that brand at the top of everyone's minds. Yeah, and it's an intangible asset. It doesn't show up on the balance sheet, but it does create real value. So I don't mind seeing Nike spend on their brand, which I expect will be the results this quarter. Jason, you've got your eye on Twitter. Yeah. They're recently in the news. What's going on? Well, I mean, I'm just segue right out of your World Cup point there, because I think Twitter falls right in that same category with what's been going on in the World Cup. And, you know, Twitter for for a while, I think, is, is... not getting bashed in, in the news, not getting bashed by analysts, but I think there are, you know, fairly analysts are questioning how much of a reach maybe Twitter has and how how robust that advertising platform can be. But I think it's always because they compare it to Facebook first and foremost, which to me is just it's not an app comparison. They're two different things. They do two, you know, serve two completely different purposes. And you know the analogy I've always driven or always always drawn is like it's like comparing it in golf terms a driver to a putter. I mean, they're two completely different clubs, and it's really nice to have both of them in your bag. You can use Facebook and Twitter, and, and, and ideally, they, they serve two different purposes. And with Twitter, you know, a lot has been uh, said about their their sort of 140 character limitations for all of the the things that are good about that. You know, it, it keeps the fast, free flowing uh, nature of the platform going. It, there are limitations there too, and so I think that you know what we're seeing with Twitter is more and more experimentation on ways to expand the communication. Uh, platform there, and the World Cup, I think, has given them, you know, a great sort of insight as to how the world is really talking to one another because it is such a global platform. Because they have, you know, more users outside of the United States than inside of the United States, and so you see some experiments they're trying now where they're actually trying to offer sort of a retweet with comment uh, feature. You know, before you could retweet someone, and that would just 
retweet what that person said. But if you wanted to add any commentary, you had to figure out a way to shrink that into that 140. Yeah, sometimes I see interesting tweets and I feel like I've stepped in the middle of a conversation and I I have trouble following it. That's exactly right. That would be a, a great a great feature. Exactly. So the retweet with comment card. Granted, this is just very early testing, but but it would ideally bring that conversation more together thread that conversation so it's easier to follow and give people a little bit more of an opportunity beyond 140 characters to express their opinion as well. So it's exciting. It's a, it's a company that's trying a lot of new things and we'll be keeping our eyes on it. So Jason, before we close out, speaking of strong opinions, uh, Uber. So it's a company that there's rumors of a $17 billion IPO, but they've they've been having problems with a couple municipalities. There's some rumors that Virginia might ban Uber. I think Cambridge in Massachusetts. The city has had some problems with Uber. Do you use Uber and what's going on there? So, yes, I have used Uber. Have you? I use it. I use it uh, almost every weekend. I love it. Yeah, and I, yeah, exactly. I said the same thing. I mean, we used it one night to get in the, in and out of DC, and I, it was just a seamless experience from start to finish. And you know, yeah, you talk about things that really grind my gears. I mean, this is one of them. And just yesterday, I got an email from Uber, and they were they were talking about this issue that they have in Virginia. Virginia's trying to tell them to stop doing business. Please fill out this survey and tell us why you love Uber. And I was very quick to fill out that survey, Brendan, because I'll tell you what, Uber has taken this model. This, this old antiquated model that is just full of politicians, greedy politicians taking, you know, taxi cab industry's money for those licensing, those licenses and medallions. And Uber is just transforming. It's disrupting it. The, the Internet is, is giving us new ways to do things all the time. And so, you know, for the longest time, I think the taxi cab industry has been one that is it's very heavily regulated. And so when you're a cab driver in whatever city or state, typically you're paying for your license to operate in that state. And all of that money, that right to operate in that state, is going towards whatever the municipality, whatever that, that area that you're operating in, because it, then they limit the supply of the taxi cabs there. And so the can, taxi cabs can make more money. Exactly. And that gives taxi cabs the right to pick up people from the airport, take people to wherever. They have certain rights that are protected uh, through all of that government regulation. Now, you know, I see all of this regulation and I think, okay, it's it's fine for certain industries. For taxi cabs, for transportation, it doesn't necessarily make a whole lot of sense, especially when you consider the, the experience of, of riding in a taxi cab today is not that good. You know, I mean, it's not dependable, right? If you're, you, you want to get someone to come pick you up, you can't count on it. It's not the cleanest experience in the world. You don't know what condition the cars are in. Never. Uh, the the driving can be erratic sometimes. You, and what if, I mean, if you're in a place where you don't know, they'll they'll take you probably the longest route. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, I think that what we have here is Uber utilizing technology to disrupt this transportation model. And and I think most most people out there are, encouraged, are encouraging it. Yeah, uh, of course, except the taxi drivers who basically, essentially it's it's disrupting their, their monopoly, so they're going to their governments and lobbying. But I think ultimately the quality of the Uber experience will will play out and, and people won't stand for Uber being banned. I don't think so either. I think that when you look at Uber's complaint or when you look at the taxi cab drivers' complaints today, I understand they're upset, but calling Uber unfair is like banking center employees calling the internet unfair. Stuff gets disrupted and you just kind of deal with it. So let's wrap up there. I will just close with one comment for Uber drivers who I love and think do a great job. Maybe a little less cologne. (laughs) Well, I can't top that. So we'll just leave it there and we'll see you next week. People on the show may have interest in the stocks they talk about. And The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. 
Don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear.